politicians are the virus. Yeah, man, maybe I am dumb. You think you're free? You think you're free just because you can't see the cage they keep you in? Fauci jerked off a pangolin, and now we all have COVID. It's us against them, guys. Get out there and spread that love and liberty. Let's go. Hey, boys and girls, if you haven't caught the news, I fought the law and daddy won. I fought the law and daddy won. Took about 45 days, $500 and a letter from my lawyer, but we got our page back on Facebook. Turns out the misinformation we were banned for happened to be 100% accurate. Now we're fighting Twitter because we're suspended there. But whatever, you know, if I don't have a fight to fight, I get bored. Why'd they, why'd they ban us on Twitter? Was it for being lewd and letting my big ween hang out? Nope. It was for interviewing doctors who say the I word. The I word, if y'all don't know, the I word is now the no-no word of the medical community. It's the N word of the medical community. It's a very dangerous word. And if you say it, you will be banned. You might spontaneously combust. But I'm going to fight that fight, and we're going to win that fight also. Um, wow, look at that. I am shined up. These, these bright lights are making me, my forehead's all shiny. I need them. I need Where's my makeup? Where's my hair and makeup? My makeup girl took off for today. Kidding, guys. We can't afford that hair. Plus, the wife wouldn't let me have a makeup girl hanging around, you know? Kind of sucks. Anyway, follow wherever you are watching this podcast. Please click subscribe. I don't want to hear about your elbow tendonitis or your, your, your limp wrist. I don't care. Quit being stingy with your likes and follows. I needs that shit. People follow the dad presents, help us fight that Liberty fight. Now we are going to get into it with Charles Hoskinson guys. This was an inspiring conversation. I thought we were going to have a boring technical talk about crypto and he taught me a lot about crypto, but dude is a Liberty lover. And I'm into it. Way to go, Charles. Guys, get out there. Buy some Cardano. Buy some Cardano. Support freedom. Support voices of freedom. Let's get into it. All right, guys. We are on with Charles Hoskinson. He's a superstar in the crypto world, and I'm excited to talk to him. He's the founder of Cardano Blockchain, as well as one of the co-founders of Ethereum. So, Charles, uh, are you set for world domination? How are you doing today? Uh, very good. Very good. And uh, always conquering. Yeah. I mean... Uh, looking at you, you know, I, you're a pretty young guy, younger than me. And uh, it's interesting to me that this, this industry seems like the only one out there that's just dominated by Gen Z and millennials. So I'm wondering how you found such great success at such a young age. What was your, your pathway? Well, I'm kind of the accidental entrepreneur. I didn't really intend on uh, doing as much as I did and being as successful as I am, you know, I kind of stumbled into it. Uh, I started, I guess, with the Ron Paul movement back in 2007. Oh, uh, right was, on. Now you're, now you're talking our language already. Please. Yeah. On. You know, I was studying math and, you know, and I took some time off because I, I just loved the campaign. And, uh, you know, they, they said, Hey, very simple, three things, you know, follow the constitution, you know, that whole concept there, humble foreign policy and sound money. Yeah, and uh, I learned a lot about East Austrian economics. I read Hayek. I read Ludwig von Mises. I, I started learning about the gold standard. I learned that we got off the gold standard in the seventies, and I was like, "Wow, money sucks. This is this is really troubling." <laughs> and you know, you couldn't do anything about it. You know, it's just like, "Well, what do you do? You just go complain? You know, go elect Austrian economists? I mean, it's like good luck with that." And then Bitcoin came around, and and then suddenly it was kind of a convergence of the things I really cared about. There was cryptography and math. Uh, there was like this sound monetary policy concept, and then there was like a lot of software and open source projects. So I said, "Wow, I finally found a home." But yeah. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anything. So you know, I just mined it and speculated. And then eventually, I said, "You know, I'm going to start teaching people about it." So right around 2013. I formed a class uh, called Bitcoin or how I learned to stop worrying and love crypto. Cause as Peter Sellers fans, you know, Dr. Strange love mm -hmm. uh, that type of a thing. And I ended up getting 70,000 students uh, for oh, the wow. class and over wow. 5,000 emails came my way. I answered all of them and I learned a lot along the way, but I also met a lot of people and it kind of bootstrapped a career in the cryptocurrency space. And I started uh, BitShares and was a co-founder of Ethereum, but the company that uh, I've spent the majority of my time with is input output. And uh, I founded that and we built Cardano and it's really an extension of the philosophy and principles that I, I carry with me. This, this 
concern and care for the developing world, uh, this idea of peer-reviewed research, uh, formal methods, these things that I thought were super important for protocol design and ultimately for creating an inclusive ecosystem. And we were pretty crazy at the time. It was just two people back in 2015. And now mm. we're 600 people. Uh, Cardano's out. Uh, it's a big ecosystem, 3 million users there. And we work on all kinds of really crazy, cool stuff. We've written 130 papers and I've been to 70 countries. It's been pretty cool. Uh, it's yeah. been a hell of a journey. I'd say so. Um, I love crypto. We love crypto here, but this is not a crypto centric show. Um, so can you tell us like, what are the main principles, the main differences between Cardano and Ethereum and why you feel Cardano is superior? You know, everything you build, there's always design trade-offs and principles. And, you know, it's easy to understand crypto in terms of generations. And so the first generation was Bitcoin. And, and there, they were trying to solve a very specific problem. This concept of having value be issued without a central party and being able to move it around without a central party. That was all they were really trying to solve there. Uh, so uh, it was a big experiment for the first five years. Nobody really knew if it was going to take off or not. But then suddenly Bitcoin became worth something. And then a big ecosystem started forming. Exchanges started forming and so forth. The problem with Bitcoin is it's very limited in what it can do. You can only kind of teleport value around. It only can do push transactions, but it's blind, deaf, and dumb. So the easiest way of thinking about it is like the early days of the internet, you'd have web browsers, you have these static websites, you could go to them and they could be very pretty, you know, little flame gifts and things like that, but they're not interactive. You, you, you can only read text. You can only click what you're supposed to click, right. but you, you can't have like social media or YouTube experience or Facebook. So then JavaScript was invented and then suddenly the web became programmable. And now you have a two-way relationship and that's the web we've come to know and love. Well, similarly, the second generation of cryptocurrencies, there was Ethereum and it introduced this idea of a smart contract. And, and there you had this ability to program stuff. So suddenly you have DEXs and oracles and stable coins and NFTs and all these things that you just can't do in that first generation technology, but now you can. The problem is that when you actually look under the hood, Ethereum is very similar to Bitcoin in that it doesn't scale. It's not super interoperable with things. And also it has very significant sustainability and governance concerns. So it kind of opened the door for fundamentally new protocols that as you gain users, you still perform well and have a lower operating cost. Uh, things that could work with the legacy system and regulation and all these other things. And then finally, governance built in where you actually have the ability to upgrade the system. Because if you can't, even if you're state-of-the-art for that time period, three mm -hmm. to five years, you're obsolete. Well, so isn't I, that kind of what's happening with Ethereum now? That's yeah. why they're having this trouble going from ETH to ETH2? Is it, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So if they're a second generation cryptocurrency and like Bitcoin, they got a huge amount of network effect and there's a great ecosystem there. It's just, it had different protocol goals and design goals. So we were first to market with proof of stake and, you know, we have- What's the difference, uh, proof of stake and proof of work? I, I hear that a lot. What is the, what is the actual difference? So proof of work and proof of stake both do the same thing, but they do it a little differently. So there are three things you have to do with a consensus protocol. You have to decide that somebody's in charge they do something and then whatever they've done, the network has to accept it. So with proof of work, it's a meritocratic lottery where you kind of mine and that's like buying tickets. Every hash you do is a ticket. And eventually you find that golden ticket that gives you the right to be in charge for that block. You make a block and then if the network accepts it, you get paid. Okay. So those are the three steps. Well, similarly with proof of stake, we do that. The only difference is the first step. So you still make blocks, you still distribute them, the network still accepts it, you still get a block reward. But instead of having a mining process, which is very competitive, you have kind of a synthetic lottery that is proportional to your ownership of the currency. So if you own 25% of the currency, on average, 25% of the time, you'll be selected, and then you can either do it or delegate that to somebody else, and then they make the block or you make the block and distribute it. Well, the advantage with this is that all the energy consumption of mm. Bitcoin, of proof of work, is done in that first stage. 99.99997%. At this point, it's at the scale of nation states. Bitcoin uses more yeah. power than the country of Ecuador. That synthetic lottery, it uses very little energy. It uses the amount of electricity of a warehouse. So you're doing the same thing. You're just doing it much more efficiently, kind of like a nuclear reactor compared to a steam engine powered by wood. You know, It's the same concept. It's just 
different mechanisms. Now, there is a question of, is that truly secure? And also your security model is different. With proof of work, it's exogenous, meaning that it's outside of the system. You have physical devices that are running. Endogenous is within the system. So it's a synthetic resource inside the system, your token ownership. So for years, it was an open question of, you know, how do you make that secure? How do you avoid a lot of different attacks? like nothing at stake and long range and grinding attacks. And we wrote six papers uh, and there's a whole industry like Algorand and Avalanche and others that basically have studied this and they've come up with security proofs and other things, but it's it requires a lot more protocol design. And it's, it's just like building a nuclear reactor. It's a much harder endeavor than building a wood-based steam engine. You have to do a lot of work to get there. Yeah, but when you do, you, you have a big benefit. You save a lot of energy. You save a lot of uh, resources. So... Um, Ethereum okay. is moving in that direction. We're already there. And there are a lot of other third gens like the Polkadots and the Tezoses and the Avalanches and the Algorands that are there as well. Yes. Yeah, so that, that kind of answers another question I had. Um, the two big criticisms I hear of crypto is from the right. You hear guys like Peter Schiff say it's, it's, uh, it's the next tulip craze. It's not real money, right? And then from the left, you hear everybody saying it's going to cause global warming. Well, that, that's what you're addressing with a uh, proof of stake is, is the, the, the energy consumption. Is there any, yeah. is there anything, you know, guys like Peter Schiff, he, he nailed 2008. He's like the only guy who got it right. Does, is, does he have any basis for what he's saying about crypto or is he just an old man who doesn't get it? Well, I, I don't think he understands where value comes from. I mean, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, all of these crypto, they're scarce. They have deflationary monetary policies for the most part. Uh, and value comes from use utility and demand. So gold doesn't just get valuable because gold is rare. There's plenty of things in the world that are very rare, but nobody right. would give a crap about it. If you sneeze on a napkin that's right. uh, and you put that's it one in your closet, kind. that's one of a kind. <laughs> yeah. You know, It's yeah. more rare than all the gold in the world. I don't know if but there's nobody a big wants market for, for that. So there has to be demand for that. Depends. If you're an yeah. internet uh, Instagram model celebrity, you might be able to sell that bottle it, up. For exactly. <laughs> right. and, so yeah. and so it all comes down to use, utility, and demand. And a community is really where this is at. So you can replicate Bitcoin at any time. You can replicate Cardano. You can copy, paste, and launch a new network. But it's a network of one person. The yeah. value comes from the network effect and the people using it and their incentives to return to it and continue using that system. And for some reason, this just doesn't make any sense at all to Peter, which is bizarre to me because I'm like, Peter, the only reason gold is worth anything is because people desire it. If yeah, they I desired think... a different metal, then look at diamonds. They're significantly sure. uh, less scarce than you'd think. But that artificial scarcity and perception of value is what creates the high prices for it. Well, they're even making fake diamonds now, yeah. so they're not really scarce at all. Um, I think, yeah, I think, you know, he sells gold. So I think that's part of it. And I think he also doesn't want to say he's wrong at this point. But anyway, one another thing I, I wanted to ask you about, and you kind of already made me feel better about it when you threw out Ron Paul's name. Okay, so I I, I did my homework for this interview. And I saw an interview with you on the World Economic Forum. And you were talking about how blockchain might lead to social change. And just seeing you there at the World Economic Forum and talking about social change scared me a little bit. Like that sounds like <laughs> social engineering a bit. And yeah, I was just hoping you could clear that up. Yeah. So, so we have a crisis and no matter where you sit politically, we have unification in one concept, which is institutions lack legitimacy. It's gotten yes. so bad, you know, five years ago, if you're sitting at a bar with a guy who worked at the CDC, you'd be like, wow, that's so honorable. These are the dudes that protect me from Ebola. You know, like that's mm -hmm. so dangerous, that job. Now you see a guy at the CDC and a lot of people are like, well, these are the people injecting my children with cancer and taking my freedom away. <laughs> uh, you know, so, so things have changed. Every yeah. institution lacks legitimacy now and you don't get legitimacy back by force. You don't put a gun to a person's head and say, love me. You know, uh, it doesn't work that way. You have to get legitimacy back by transparency, inclusive accountability, trust, these yep. types of things. So what we sell as an industry are transnational protocols. So they're not controlled by nation states. They're not controlled by individual people or corporations. They're math-based like the internet is. And you can use these to preserve principles. And you can use these to create equal access in the system. So you could be the shepherd from Senegal or Bill Gates. You have okay. the same access to the system. And the same rule. So instead yes. of don't be evil, it can't be evil. So when okay. you're in the market for rebuilding the world, 
then you take a step back and you say, well, there's two directions we can go. We can go in the China social credit dystopian data-driven AI-driven world where everybody has a number stamped on their head and, and you gamify being a citizen and it's a Black Mirror episode, or you can go in the direction of integrity and principles. But we don't have constitutions anymore that are worth anything. We don't have transnational agreements that people follow. Rule of law is not followed by governments themselves. So you need something else that constrains the human race and forces them to all play by the same rules. So I'll give you a great social example of this. So a lot of people in America would like a voting system where you can check your own vote and verify your vote was counted and verify that the integrity of the election system was preserved. In other words, no more than registered voters voted, and uh, you don't have a situation where 10 million people voted, but there's only 8 million people in the country. Okay. Mm. Well, we call that property-inclusive accountability. Your ability to check something without relying on a third party or an institution to say, trust us, you told us, uh, these type of a thing. Well, it turns out the same things that allow you to check if your Bitcoin exists or your ADA exists in Cardano allow you to actually build a voting system that has that property. Yes. So when we talk about rebuilding the world, we say, well, how do you build institutions that so are trusted? You, you decentralize an election. You take yes. it out. You take the power away from the people running the elections. Nobody's running it. It's decentralized. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what or, it sounds like what you're saying to me is the social change will happen as a result of actually providing true equality, which we've never had in world history. This will provide actual equality, not some politicians up there yapping about equality, it, real yeah. equality. And it's a bipartisan thing because you got people on the left and they always use those, we're all systematically racist or whatever the hell that means. They say that again and again, and they got people on the right saying there is a group of people that we didn't elect, we don't trust, that somehow always seem to do okay. And they seem to be in control of the system no matter which way we vote. Well, if you have a system that is universally fair, in both circumstances, both sets of concerns are resolved. That system doesn't care about your race, gender, ethnicity. That system doesn't care about the language you speak. Everybody's treated equally. On the same token, that system has properties about it where you're able to verify that people aren't cheating. And a certain group of people are treated with special consideration. Everybody's treated equally. That's what we tried to do with the U.S. Constitution. And as long as we followed it, we actually had that system. The minute we stopped following it, that's where we got to the problems we're at today. Uh, and so yep. we're not going to go back to the Constitution. You know, we can keep voting that way, but the government doesn't care. So you need something else. And so blockchain-based systems are a return to that. In, in essence, it's kind of like a meta-constitution for the world for any yes. commercial activity. Yeah, people think they're going to vote their way back to freedom, and it's it's not going to happen because no government in world history has ever given up their power or minimized themselves. Right. Uh, crypto seems like a way. Cardano seems like a way to rip it back away from them. Like we don't need their permission. And that's, what's exciting about it. So let, let me ask you about this. I, I, I now have a better sense of uh, your motivations and it, it pleases me. Uh, I'm, it makes me more excited about your project. And I've been on board for a long time. The Canadian trucker convoy had $10 million donated through GoFundMe. GoFundMe decided they don't want to give them the money. So then another similar site opened up that was decentralized and they they are accepting crypto. So of course, predictably, now you have government yelping about more regulations to crypto. Right. Uh, of course, they want to regulate it because it's a direct threat to their power. Can they actually do anything about it? Yeah. I mean, you can always try to regulate something. You know, the US tried to ban online gambling and it went from a $4 billion a year industry to a $40 billion a year industry. Uh, yeah, the war on <laughs> drugs isn't doing so good either. No. Uh, mm-hmm. So you can always regulate or ban things, but if there's a human need and a demand for it, uh, it will exist. And yeah. ultimately, information wants to be free and money wants to be free. Yeah, that's how we express ourselves. We, we have fundamental human rights, the freedom of association, commerce, and expression, ACE. And if you don't, if, if a system tries to take that from you, people will naturally start building another system. For example, uh, Dr. Fauci uh, apparently uh, endorsed some research involving dogs. And then Facebook decided, oh, this is fake news. We're going to you know, block anything involving any article you post about it. So uh, you know, people started creating these memes where they say, hey, Dr. Fauci got some new dogs. Google Dr. Fauci's dogs, because they knew the yeah. first result would be that. You see, so people always find a way to get around censorship. People always find a way to get around paywalls, uh, you know, barriers. 
And so these Canadian truckers are out there and say, we are just fighting for liberty. We were told one thing and then something else is happening. We were told that vaccines will prevent the transmission of coronavirus. That's why everybody needs to be vaccinated because it's great for society. Well, if that's the case in a 70% vaccinated community, why is everybody getting Omicron? They're not providing sterilizing immunity. So why are you creating second-class citizens of the vaccine and the unvaxxed? It's a personal decision. It's not a, a, a pandemic decision. Even the Prime Minister of Canada, I guess, now has uh, COVID. And Prince Charles has COVID and so forth. And they're all triple vaxxed. So they're fighting for freedom in their minds. And apparently, it's perfectly fine uh, for one political philosophy that's burning buildings down and other things to do that. And the media praises it. But if people just sitting in trucks, it's like the worst thing in the world. And you can't even give them fuel cans or give them money. Mm-hmm. So uh, people will do what they need to do to ensure that uh, they can express themselves and they can engage in freedom of commerce. Okay, crypto so me, is, a, is, a, is a, just an area for that. Let me be and, a little more specific with the question, because government is going to try to regulate it. There's no doubt. But like you said, when people want things, they persevere, like the prostitution never going away. You know, people... People are willing to sell their bodies. People are willing to buy that. Drugs never right. going away. It doesn't matter what government does. So crypto's not going away. But what kind of things can government do to get in the way? Like, can they oh. steal people's crypto? Do they have the technology for that? Well, can if they break it, up these systems, yeah, it just depends on you, the users. So if you follow the protocols as intended, it's very difficult to steal or even know you own a cryptocurrency. But if you use a cloud wallet use an exchange, use trusted third parties, they can coerce or co-opt those third parties to steal it from you. So it really comes down to how you use the technology and who you trust. And every time you trust somebody, you reduce your security, you improve your convenience. You see, so so it's always that that, that trade-off and that balance. And then the other thing is that you have to ask yourself, even if they attempt to ban something, what incentives do they have? And then who's going to go with them? Who's not going to go with them? So uh, if you ban crypto in China, for example, which is what they did, over a billion people now live in an economy where crypto's banned, yet crypto's still here. We're doing better. Bitcoin went to 64,000 after China banned it. Uh, and, so, and that's one seventh of the population of the entire planet. So I, I don't think uh, bans long-term have any success. They just create pain for institutions and for businesses. So it hurts me as a business owner, but it doesn't actually in practice hurt an individual. The other thing is the young people overwhelmingly are pro-crypto. Yes. You know, McKinsey did a study and they looked at people under the age of 30 and they discovered that people under the age of 30 are significantly more likely to own a cryptocurrency or an NFT uh, over a stock, a bond, or a traditional investment. Those people under the age of 30 in 20 years are the ones in charge. You know, and they're and 20 more years are the ones who are president. So the next generation has already decided this paradigm is viable and it's reached two trillion dollars of scale and it's created billionaires. It's really hard to get rid of that. So it's inevitable. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Yes. Okay. So uh, you, you threw out the, the term cloud wallet. Um, so let me ask, is it is a cloud wallet? Would that be something like a trust wallet? Whereas a, a hard external wallet would be something like a ledger? Is so is a ledger more safe? It, and it, something like it a trust all wallet? depends on who controls the private keys and are there multiple copies or not. So uh, where you store your backups and how you do that, whether they're encrypted or unencrypted, whether that only lives on a hardware device or it lives on a server, whatever these things are. And is there an access control that prevents you from getting access to it? So a custodial wallet, like an exchange, they have your private keys and they give you access to it through a username and a password. So if I'm a government, I can go and just go to the exchange and shut this account down like they would your bank and mm-hmm. say, shut this down and take it. And that's very easy for them to do that. A ledger, unless they have your pin code and access to the physical device, there's no way they can get in. Right. Okay. What about something like, so I have, I have all the things, right? Something like a trust wallet. It's only on my phone, but I have the private keys. I have the 12 the 12 words or whatever, the private right. keys. Is that considered a cloud wallet or is that more? Uh, as long a- as th- another copy of that private key doesn't belong to a third party and people can't shut you out of the How of would you even know that? Well, if you generated the private key client side uh, and it wasn't generated on a server, then you'd have the only copy of that. 
So was it generated on your phone or did you have to log into a website and they right. generated it for you and sent you something? Got uh, it. So, so in general, we call that's the difference between a custodial and a non-custodial wallet. Non-custodial, you generate the keys. Custodial, someone else does and they have access to it. Interesting. I, I, that, I didn't know that before. So that makes a big difference for security. Um, okay. I, I, you hear a lot about something like Cardano where it's a platform for other projects to be built on. Um, on, a, on a basic level, can you tell me what that means and give an example of a project that is on Cardano that is promising? Sure. Uh, so Cardano is a smart contract platform. And basically uh, what it, you can do is you can use it to issue assets and you can use it to write logic around the movement of those assets, people, assets, and information. So there's all kinds of utilities for that makes sense. So let's say you're an artist and you want to uh, make some more money off of your music and your videos and these types of things. Okay, great. So you can issue assets on Cardano and then write contracts to basically create terms and conditions on how people can buy and trade those things. And you can create a marketplace and people can go and do that. Uh, so we see this a lot in the NFT space. Mm -hmm. And so in Ethereum land, they have OpenSea. We have CNFT. Uh, but there are marketplaces on Cardano. Over 3 million assets have been issued on Cardano already. A lot of them are NFTs. Okay, let's say you want to create liquidity. Let's say you run a small business in an unregulated jurisdiction like an African country, let's say Senegal or Kenya or something, and you want to sell stock. Okay, well, you can create a security token and then you can actually sell that stock and, and then you can get it listed on a DEX, a decentralized exchange, and then people can trade there. And there's no New York Stock Exchange. There's no NASDAQ. It's all completely online. And there are DEXs that are running. Uh, yeah, Cardano, so that's like the that wing would, riders and Sunday and so forth. Yeah, so that's where you essentially your crypto is more like a stock. You're creating a crypto to sell stock in yep. your company, whatever that idea is. It's still a cryptocurrency, but it's it's stock in a company. Yeah, yeah. So, so like easiest way of thinking about it is crypto assets are like stem cells. You know, a stem cell can turn into heart tissue or to bone or to skin or to brain cells or eye cells. Well, similarly, a crypto asset can be a security, a commodity, a currency. It can do any of these things. It just depends on how you use it, the context, and the, the structure behind it. So you can create any of those things, and you can connect it to any business logic. And the advantage you have is it's global by default. It's liquid by default. You can move it anywhere. And it is constrained by algorithmic regulation instead of trusts and promises of the individuals for the most part. So there are over 250 dApps that are currently under construction and being deployed on Cardano because we just got smart contract capabilities. We were one of the latest out um, for that. And they cover every gamut you would expect. Uh, oracles, so that's like the movement of information. Stable coins, so those are assets that are pegged to like the dollar or the euro or things like that. Uh, DEXs, those are decentralized exchanges, NFT marketplaces, and those are the usual use cases. But then we're also exploring specific regional use cases. Like for example, we're working very hard to build a microfinance ecosystem within Cardano. So those are small scale loans to people in poor jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. And generally those loans under the legacy market, because of how many middlemen are involved, are 85% interest. So they're very predatory and usurious. Well, if you build it with crypto rails, you can cut out all the middlemen, which means yeah. you can massively reduce the interest rates and do peer-to-peer -peer lending to people. So that's an example of a use case. And that's something we're exploring in Kenya right now with a partner called Possession. And hopefully second half of this year, those loans will go out. We're also looking at nation state level work. For example, uh, identity management systems for the country of Ethiopia. There are 5 million users that are getting their academic credentials verified on the Cardano blockchain. So they create identifiers. They're called DIDs, decentralized identifiers. We have a framework called Prism that builds this stuff. And we're putting all their grades and transcripts and other things into a, a format where if they show it to you as an employer or a university, you're able to verify the record that you're being shown is actually correct. And you don't have to trust that individual. So it's more, it's more accurate than pen and paper, even a computer system or an Excel spreadsheet. It's more accurate and it takes away the power of someone to be to corrupt it. Yeah, it's counterfeit proof. And also it preserves inclusive accountability. So when I, I give you this thing, you can check it yourself and you know that that's right because the issuing agency signed it and you don't have to call them and have them mail transcripts. Or, and in some cases yeah. you can't, like when a civil war breaks out or something like that, everything shuts down 
And what if you're trying to go to college? What if you're trying to get hired? You're like, by the yeah, my university burnt down. Sorry, I, I don't know what to tell you. You know, yeah. So every time, every time I I'm a physical therapist by trade. Every time I've I've lived in 20 states. Every time I move to a new state, I have to get the transcripts from my school, and it's a giant bureaucracy, and it's a pain right. in the ass. So that that that's a a perfect use case for how it would benefit someone like me. Now you mentioned um artists and NFTs and smart contracts, and as you're talking about that, I'm thinking. You know, there's this recent controversy with Joe Rogan, who's the biggest terrorist on the planet, and they want to get him off of Spotify. Could artists, I know they can make NFTs, could they use these smart contracts on platforms like Cardano to just be in charge of their own music and sell their own music? Could another platform like Spotify come about through Cardano and that's where people get their music? Oh, absolutely. And there's a lot of artists that are exploring this. And the other thing is that you can actually make event-based money. So let's say you wake up at uh, two o'clock in the morning, you're just feeling in the zone. You're like, I'm going to put on an impromptu concert. So you could go onto a platform and then just all your fans just start showing up. And because you have the currencies and the payment channels are all built there and there's no middlemen, they can just tip you while you're playing. So it's kind of like live streaming where you get like, yeah. you know, money. Well, you could do the exact same thing and so wake up and have like a hundred thousand people watch you and make half a million dollars, just like doing an impromptu concert wow. in the middle of nowhere. I mean, this is an example. You could do that, that for you, podcasting too. I, I could do that. Exactly. Micro tipping wow. is like a big thing. And if they like a particular comment, they click a button, they send you a penny. You can't do that with a credit card, but you can do that with these new cryptocurrencies that, uh, that are coming out and these new features are coming out. And then, you know, it adds up over time. And then you can also use it for the brokering of intellectual property. Uh, you can put things in trusted hardware domains. So you have secure erasure. There's all kinds of crazy stuff you can do. And people are exploring this real time. And a lot of musicians are starting to get involved real time from Gene Simmons to others in the crypto space. And they're learning basically how to create a whole new economy for this, where they get rid of the platforms, the Spotify's, yeah. the Google Music, these others who are traditionally, they suck all the life out of the artist. They take all the value out of the artist. Very, it's super exciting when you put it like this. Um, okay, I'm I'm old. I remember when the internet started. It 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 was a dump, but it was an exciting time. And if you invested in anything, you made a lot of money. There was a time when you just threw money at any old internet stock; it was going to make money. We kind it kind of feels like we're in that stage of crypto now. There's a lot of excitement. You can put money anywhere; it's mostly going to go up. We've got we've got Cardano, Ethereum, Tron, One Inch, Polkadot, Solana. Are we destined to have one of these dominate the market like we've seen in the internet, or do each of these provide unique services that will allow them all to thrive? I mean, there's never one of anything. I mean, there's never one language, one religion, one country, one view of human beings are creatures of diversity, and things tend to break down in terms of linguistic, geographic, cultural. Uh, and utility barriers. And there's preferences. You know, Some people have Galaxy phones. Some people have iPhones. They technically do the same thing, but they have preferences on experiences. Yes, but so, nobody has BlackBerry anymore, right? So yeah, that's but, what but, I'm saying. Like, are, but yeah, are we going to see a there, lot there's, of these? There, there's, yeah, of course, there's going to be Cambrian extinction. There's 8,000 cryptocurrencies. There's no way the market can maintain that many. 95% will die off but even amongst the ones that die off, there are probably going to be dozens of good options that flow around. Like, I don't think Ethereum is ever going to die, and I don't think Bitcoin's ever going to die. And I think Cardano's here to stay. But, you know, the question is will there be 12 good ones or 400 good ones? You know, that really is just how fast consolidation occurs and how these platforms occur. And ultimately, it matters less because at the end of the day, uh, the platform should carry principles with them. So regardless of who wins, if if they're inclusively accountable and uh, they don't censor you and these other properties, it's like TCP/IP. You know, it's it's fine. It'll it'll do what you need to do, and then you can build great experiences on top of that. And you preserve your liberty. Okay. Um, Web three. This is this is another term I hear floated out there that I don't fully understand. So. Was Web 2 when we went to social media, when you talked about the internet being interactive, is that what Web 2 is? And is Web 3 now these smart contracts? So originally, the architects of the internet who were pitching and commercializing it, they had this whole earth catalog idea that you are your own server and you are your own consumer. So you would run a server and you would visit other servers and everybody would be nodes in this big decentralized mesh and they'd all talk to each other and do things. So you don't use Gmail. You host your own email server. And your friend hosts their own email server. You, you, you don't 
use a web host. You are your own web host. You have your own uh, website and so forth. Well, that didn't work out that way because people do not want to be servers. And so right. what ended up happening was in web two, people built cloud products and cloud infrastructure and basically uh, businesses and everybody else, they said, we're going to be clients. We're going to consume, but we're not going to necessarily be in charge of the storage and production and transmission of all these things. So then we ended up creating a hyper-centralized backend of the internet. Okay. So okay. a small group of people like Rackspace and Google and at Microsoft and others, they run the backbone and they control the on and off ramps and they control the who has access to things. This is why Twitter can deplatform you. Yes. This is why Facebook can deplatform because they, they banned have on these, both of those. Yes. Yeah, go on. So, so they have these, 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 these lockdown experiences. So then Web3 comes around and it says, oh, okay, let's try to get back to where we were. And you can be your own server and you can be your own database and you can be your own ISP and you can be your own, all these things. And it's just a new stack of technology to do that. Now, unfortunately, uh, we're not there. And also what we've seen is regression where we have web three, uh, but then people actually start centralizing around platforms. For example, Ethereum, the vast majority of dApps on Ethereum are actually hosted and are somewhat centralized on just platforms like Infura and Alchemy. OpenSea, for example, for NFTs, uh, works with MetaMask. And when you buy an NFT, yes, it does technically live on the Ethereum blockchain, but your view of it comes from a central server and your access to it comes through a central API. Yeah, kind of defeats the purpose. Exactly. So, so the problem with Web3 is that they've over-promised and under-delivered, and it's getting the worst of both worlds. It's getting the inefficiencies and slowness, inclusiveness, and early daysness of Web3 but then it's getting all the problems of web two in practice because people are, are in a gold rush. They're, yeah. they're trying to chase money. And I mean, it's, 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 it's natural super, evolution. This is going to happen in any industry. Unavoidable. Yeah. And so it's super hard to design protocols that are truly decentralized. And that's one of the hallmarks of Cardano is that we've tried to preserve that, but we've had to spend a lot of blood, tears and sweat for it. six years of work, 130 papers, million lines of code. This was not easy. Over a hundred million dollars of research and development has gone into it, and we're not there yet. There's still yeah. a lot more to do, and and so uh, people want it now, but what they don't understand is in the desire to want that, they're actually compromising, defeating the entire point of the industry, which is decentralization. Right, right, yeah. You've you've got to be proud of what you've built there. I mean, we're proud of you. I mean, it's it's amazing. There's still a long way to go, but you've you've got to be feeling good about what you've done. Um, there's only. I read something like there's only like 3% of the world at this point is actually in crypto, invested in crypto or actively participating. So there comes a point in time where it becomes the majority. Right. How far away from that do you think we are? How far away are we from where people are going out to the store and instead of spending dollars, they're spending Doge or Shiba or whatever, you know? Right. Uh, you know, I'd say 10 to 15 years is probably a good point. You know, if, if you look at people on the age of 30, the vast majority uh, are more likely to own crypto than own uh, a stock or bond. So uh, there's already a huge appetite for this amongst the young. And there's a cultural awareness amongst the young that is enduring. And it's not the pet rock, it's here to stay. So it's really just a question of how long does it take for all the systems to upgrade and iterate or new systems to replace the legacy systems. And generally that enterprise procurement cycle is about 10 to 15 years. Even Apple is embracing crypto payments. Google is embracing payments. Samsung has a wallet on the Galaxy phone line. So that'll come. And you know these protocols still need about five to 10 years of deep R&D for them to truly realize scalability and interoperability and governance uh, but you know, there's enormous progress that's being mm -hmm. made on a day-by-day -day basis, and the custodians of this ecosystem have tens of billions of dollars of money to play around with. And so it's not like they have to like uh, somehow uh, you know raise the next round of money or else they go out of business. A lot of these guys they can do this for life. Yeah. You know, so so you know if they make it their life's work, they will get there. It's going to happen. Yes. Okay. When you see something like what El Salvador has done. I'm not sure if that's something to get excited about or something to be scared about. I guess they've adopted Bitcoin, which is exciting. But then you hear talks of like the U.S. Treasury talk, talking about making their own crypto. And that that's terrifying because I don't think most people will understand the difference between a United States Treasury crypto and a decentralized one. 
And that's that's game over for freedom if that happens. Yeah. And it's a huge problem for civil asset forfeiture and for censorship and and deplatforming people's economic identity. It's one of the most terrifying things in the world, digital money, for that reason. So anybody who's going after cash, they do not like liberty. <laughs> and crypto is kind of the new cash. Uh, so El Salvador has really moved the needle a bit, and it's showing a workable path forward for a nation state to embrace cryptocurrency. Uh, and you know, we went down to El Salvador. We met with Bukele, and we oh, yeah. had a great yeah you know, we had a great time talking to them. And there are great people down there. It's just there's a lot of challenges they have to overcome, and and not it can't be done perfectly because there's huge protocol limitations with Bitcoin. So to get it out of nation state, you have to do it in a somewhat centralized way. And then there's philosophical reasons of well, if you've done it in a centralized way, have you defeated the point or not? So you know it's it's a constant battle and it's a constant struggle. However, it did open the conversation of a nation state having a cryptocurrency as its sovereign currency and not being beholden to the Bank of International Settlements or the world order for the movement of money. Uh, and over time, what will happen is more nations will do that and to mm. a point where million, billions of people live under a crypto regime instead of live under a traditional regime. Now, in terms of the, the, the federal government, the Federal Reserve with the digital dollar, um, the Boston Fed is working with MIT and they, they've done some experiments and they've had some great success on figuring out how to build a centralized currency. Uh, but that is not a cryptocurrency. I mean, right. you could run on rails, you could wrap it, you could do all kinds of things to put it into the crypto space. No, but they're it's taking like, the crypto out of it. Yeah, but yeah. but at the end of the day, it's like they have unlimited power. It's like Palpatine, like unlimited power. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's what they it's what they got. Uh, so you know, it's a question of well, why would a person choose that over something else? It comes down to philosophy and convenience. So as an entrepreneur, the challenge is on my side to build more convenient, better user experiences with the principled stuff. And as a podcaster, burdens on you guys to spread the good word of liberty and freedom and remind people we're only one generation away from losing it at all times. Yeah, for sure. People people think it's a think our way of life is a given. And it's not because if you just look at world history, the vast majority of human history has been ruling class and everybody else. Right. And America was like this brief experiment in liberty. That is now taking the natural progression of going backwards with, with our rulers taking the power back that was stolen from them. Crypt, that's the most exciting thing about crypto is it's it's crypto is revolutionary. It right. brings the power back to the people, and it's the only revolution that can get our freedom back that is not a violent one. I mean, we went from two weeks to slow the spread to papers, please, in two years. Uh, yeah, that's and you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's it's a terrifying thing how quickly dystopian mindset has inculcated its way, and we're having a situation where we can't even agree on reality. Our yeah. values are different, and reality is different. People can see the same set of data and interpret it one way versus the other. Like for example, the Johns Hopkins report that came out that said that all the lockdowns only reduce mortality by 0.2 percent. Mm -hmm. And most reasonable people are reading that. They should read it like, this is a failure. Putting people Massive on a diet failure. would have yeah. done. We destroyed our economy, destroyed our supply chains, 20% inflation, printed trillions of dollars out of thin air, $30 trillion national debt, inflicted enormous pain and suffering and misery on the well, entire American population. People and, died from it. Yeah. And the More largest, people than were saved. The largest wealth transfer in American history from the, rich, from the poor to the rich. And we only saved 0.2%. That's a failed policy. And other people read it and they say, oh, we didn't do enough. We should have done more lockdown. The lockdowns were ineffective. We should have like, like I don't know, installed cameras in people's homes and made sure yeah. they wore their masks 24-7. It's, it's nuts mm -hmm. when people see that. Yes. And, well, after two years of this, what I've concluded is that it's not a tenable bridge that can be gapped. There's, there's people who trust the state and want rulers and will believe anything they're hand fed. And then there's other people who want their independence. And those are just two different kinds of people. They're just two different kinds of people. So we're going in our separate directions. Maybe, you know, I'm a bit more optimistic. I, I think it's just an issue of experience and education and, and conversation. You know, it, you, you, either you change and come to the liberty side because you've been personally impacted. Uh, by the consequences of totalitarianism, 
or you finally had a come to Jesus moment with uh, with somebody explaining it to you in a way you understand. Well, like we have a lot of Eastern Europeans that work at my company, and uh, a lot of them grew up under the Soviet Union. They get it. They get it a hundred percent. They're like, look, we lived in a dystopian reality with secret police and like the government's always lying to you and no one believes anything. Uh, you know, you don't have to convince us of this. We've seen it and felt it firsthand. And everybody knows somebody who got gulagged, you know, cause they knew too much. They said too much. They, uh, you know, they, they live in that system. So there's no reality that they're ever going back to that, to that reservation. They're, they're done. Uh, now there's a lot of kids today. They've been propagandized by the public education system. And they, they live in this mindset of, Nanny state is here to take care of you from cradle to grave and, and trust what's on television, trust what you're told. But at some point, you, the hypocrisy and the lies, they get so pervasive and so crazy that you have to start admitting that there's a problem here. When you have the Biden administration come out and say, there's no inflation as long as you don't count the price of pork, beef, and chicken. <laughs> it's just It's just like, is this Saturday Night Live? I, I mean, is this a parody? Is this, right. this is a joke, right? You know, when you see these things and you hear these things, at some point you start saying like, okay, there's something going on here. There's a problem here. And and that's the moment you can actually get them and say, let's talk about the path to healing. Let's talk about how do we get out of this? You know, what do we need to do? Maybe Um, you're probably a better communicator than I am because, you know, I'll, I'll have strangers reach out who watch this show and tell me that I help them see the the pathway to liberty. But but friends forget about it. They dig their their heels in the sand, and you know they they don't want to hear it. So I, I maybe sometimes if it, it depends who you're talking to and if it, they're taking it personally or not. I, I mean, just look at the COVID response. Uh, going to Texas, Florida, or Wyoming, it's over. You know, you go there and nobody wears a mask. There's no real measures anymore. And then you talk to people in some of these extremely lockdown friendly places, and they and they're like, well, everybody must be dead in Florida. <laughs> there must be like corpses everywhere and mass graves yeah. and all these other things. And then you look at the actual numbers between the two and you're like, same. well, it's not, it's, it's the same. Yeah. Right. And, and I live in Boulder County out here in Colorado, the mask mandate ended in Denver back to normal here in Boulder County. It's like, they will yell at you. If you go into a restaurant without a mask on, it's, it's mm-hmm. the crazy, it's the craziest thing. And so, uh, so yeah, it, it, it is very frustrating and it's unfortunate that people are having a hard time with facts. It just means that we have to come up with better messages and we have to come up with better ways of community because the alternative is a civil war. If well, you that's disagree for what, too long, what I'm talking about is crypto. That's the way we avoid it. That's how yeah. we get our freedom back without a civil war. Cause nobody wants that. No, you, know, you, you live one time. We don't want that. We no. definitely do not. Want I, I mean, I've been to 70 countries and I've been to countries that are currently in civil wars. Like mm-hmm. I was just in Ethiopia and, you know, and, uh, and so, you know, when you see these things firsthand and you see what it does to people, that is the worst case scenario, but it's an inevitable one. If you have no ability to communicate and negotiate, and you believe the institutions have lost legitimacy. Yes. You know, Biden being elected, his first response should have been, let's have a bipartisan commission to restore faith in the integrity of elections. Instead, what he did is say, anybody who doesn't believe we're legitimate is an evil person and must be deplatformed and you're the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, and meanwhile, that party in 2016 spent three years telling us how Russia stole the election for uh, yeah. Trump. So when yeah, they you lose, don't need to point out hypocrisy here. Everybody who I, watches this show is very well aware. Of I, I know, and, I, and I'm not much of a Republican or a Democrat. You know, I'm I, neither. I, I, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I'm beyond that. It's just when you see hypocrisy in these things, you lose legitimacy every time you, you expose yourself in that way, regardless of what it is. And all we have to do is just point it out. And at some point, they become parodies of themselves. And then that institution dies and a new institution has to come. And if you build it with principles and you build it with the right regulating mechanisms, that institution can become enduring. The founding fathers gave us a phenomenal constitution, great checks and balances. And for over a century, that held strong. The progressive movement came in under Wilson and they, they fundamentally chipped away at that. They, they mm-hmm. got rid of the way senators were elected. They destroyed states' rights. They hyper-centralized power in the federal government, introduced the income tax, the Federal Reserve, and they had this idea of a great socialist utopia. And so they built bureaucracies, a fourth branch of government that has no constitutional authorization. And because it didn't, and it transcended that, there was nothing in the constitution to regulate it or control it. 
So the bureaucracy gained unlimited power. And then it no longer was beholden to the courts. It's no longer beholden to transparency or honesty. And it's self-fulfilling. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I, I mean, I talk to some people on the left, and this is the thing that blows my mind more than anything else. They hate corporations. They're like, oh, evil big companies. I say, okay, well, here's what's going on right now. Mm. Your government is saying a private company doesn't have to pay to make a product, has no liability for the use of the product, and guarantees a market for that product. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stunning. And, Stunning. And, and, and it's $100 billion a year. Are you okay with that? No, not at all. That's horrible. I said, well, that's, that's Pfizer. Pfizer gets. And Moderna <laughs> yeah. gets these other things. Well, that's public yeah. health. They said, well, then why do, if you're a socialist, why don't you support the nationalization of the vaccines? What, the, 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 the War Powers Act gives them the ability to uh, nationalize them and give them away for free. I've said and that not have so many times, problem. right? Like if, if these vaccines are going to save everybody, why not strip these companies of their intellectual rights to them and produce them on a massive scale cheaply as a public good, right? Government has just at this point, government is nothing but a tool for these comp for these companies. They're using government as their tool to enrich themselves. We have the military industrial complex, the medical industrial complex. Now Uh, we have all these complexes and they, and it's a transfer of wealth from the poor to the rich. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets screwed by these yeah. types of things, you know. Well, we're gonna take it back because of guys like you. I got another one coming up actually at three. Um, I feel so much better after talking to you. I really do. Um, tell people where how to get involved with Cardano, uh, how to learn more about your project, and let's get this thing going. Well, absolutely. So go to Cardano.org. It, it'll get you where you need to go. Whether you're a builder or you're an evangelist or you want to participate in governance. Cardano has its own government. You can vote. You can make money. There's all kinds of crazy things you can do. It's a pretty crazy ecosystem. And then, of course, uh, my Twitter is probably the easiest way of getting contacted me. I have about 850,000 followers. That's IOHK underscore Charles. And uh, you can put the uh, link to my Twitter and the Cardano.org in the show notes. Uh, and people can just click that and see it. Will do. Absolutely. Charles, thank you so much. Uh, keep doing the work you're doing. We, we appreciate you. And I hope you are rewarded by the universe. Thank you so much. Always choose liberty. Cheers. Take care.